Welcome y bienvenidos to the Bridge Covenant Church Podcast. Whether you weren't able to join us on Sunday or just thought the message was so nice you listened to it twice, we pray these words will encourage you in your walk with Jesus. For more information about today's sermon or to learn more about Bridge, please visit us at bridgecovenant.org. Amen. Well, let's start by uh, opening our Bibles and turning to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. So if you'd find a friend and read that to one another. There are Bibles up here if you need a Bible. There are phones in your pockets if you need a phone. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Please read that together uh, with your neighbor. It's good to be back. Ten, you know, two Sundays, I just feel like I'm way behind on everything that's happening, so it's good to see you catch up. Uh, so we just read this parable, the parable of these bags of gold, or you might have read talents. Uh, so I was looking at this, and, and I was thinking about some advice I got. I think the best advice I ever received came from a, a favorite professor of mine. Uh, I was still in seminary preparing for pastoral Ministry, and I was pretty sure that I had this special relationship with this professor. You know, uh, nobody else was quite as close as I, maybe. Uh, even though he was kind of famous in the biblical scholar world. And, uh, and even though he'd walked with hundreds of students over many years, I still really felt. And, and I did. I had a special relationship with him. But that was part of this charisma of this man. Uh, he was able to give you his attention and just make you feel like you were the one that was there. Uh, but I wasn't the only one. Uh, uh, I, was, I found out later that everybody thought that they were the special <laughs> one. So. But that was a gift that they had that made many, many people feel special. And I don't really recall what I was asking advice for. I, I think it had something to do with me with the challenges that I kind of foresaw ahead of me entering into pastoral ministry. And I had this big question, and I expected this big answer. And so it was a bit of a surprise to hear his advice. Instead of a long and detailed discourse, uh, everything that, uh, that, that, I could, that I could even hear, he, he just said three words, just be faithful. That was it, just be faithful. And I think I may have been surprised, maybe I looked at him funny or asked for more, but he didn't change his answer, he didn't expand on it, he just said just be thankful, uh, faithful. So we've entered our series on parables, and the same professor who gave me that rich advice is the one who, whose decades of prayer and study and rich advice is, is, uh, and research is helping us to go back to these stories with intent again and again and to ask, what is Jesus saying? And when Klein told me to just be faithful, I had to stop and listen again. What was Klein saying? Uh, today, we move uh, into parables about future eschatology. So eschatology, I, 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 you, I think you want to know this word. I, I think you might as well know this word. Anytime you put ology on the end of the word, it means that's a field of study, right? Okay, so if you want to study living things, you study biology. If you want to study making people beautiful, you study cosmetology. If you want to study dinosaurs, Paleontology, and if you want to study grasshoppers, you study. Wow, acridology. <laughs> but I'm just, 
I, I, nobody was, you guys were, wow, nice. So eschatology is the study of things that come last. Uh, so in these parables, and I've got them all listed up here for you, uh, Jesus is challenging and changing attitudes and behaviors about the future. Not some distant future only, but also the future today, like this afternoon uh, and tomorrow and so on. And I put some notes up there like last things, and then I also kind of put like what, who is coming. That's maybe a frame of reference for us. So before we delve into this parable of the bags of gold, let's talk a bit about last things or end times, uh, as some like to call it. Uh, you know, one of the problems with eschatology is that uh, a lot of Christians like to really get into timelines and predicting events and sequences. And maybe you've seen big complicated charts on walls. Um, and that kind of stuff can go off track uh, pretty quickly. And we know, as we've studied Revelation, that putting the Bible next to the news is really not a good way to read Revelation. So I suggest it may be better to, to focus on who is coming uh, rather than what is coming. We don't really have all the details about what is coming, uh, but we definitely know who. Um, so let's stay focused on Jesus because our future our hope is fully in the risen King. In 1 Peter it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our living hope is not in knowing the what and when of the last days. Our living hope is in Jesus, whom we meet personally whom we come to know in Scripture and in community, our living hope is in a person, not in some future event. So the work of Jesus is also part of a larger story. And so knowing the whole story is an important part of being a good student of eschatology. Uh, consider that the coming of the Messiah was promised to the people of Israel in the last days. Uh, so... We know that with the coming of Jesus and His death and resurrection that something changed in the world and God broke into history and inaugurated this new community in Christ through God's only Son. So eschatology is it's a hard word to say, but now you know what it is. This is the end, the last. But it's not just about the end because that end has no meaning without a beginning. So it helps know how God has acted and is acting and how God promises to act. But it's so intriguing still to read our Bibles and begin to make predictions and you know, to get little insights and then it's tempting to see what is happening in the world and we use our Bible knowledge to make claims about the end. So knowing that about ourselves and knowing that we're not the first ones in history to do that, Let's return to this big parable question uh, once more. Just remember, as we take a look at this parable of the bags of gold, how is Jesus seeking to change attitudes of the people he's talking to, but also maybe we can think about how our attitudes, maybe our behaviors, need to be addressed with this parable. So, this first section here, it's a pretty clear... Uh, there's, this one's not super tough, especially in the beginning. So let's look at the first uh, few verses. It, first it says, it'll be like a man going on a journey. So 
I'm just going to go back to a month ago uh, when I talked about double indirect communication, right? So he's talking about a man. He's not talking to you. And he's talking about a journey, something else, right? So it's, it's two things that are kind of different than what he's really talking about. So double indirect communication. And that's what we expect with, with a parable, is some kind of, kind of backdoor uh, conversation. So Jesus changes the setting and the characters instead of speaking to his listeners directly. But from how Matthew has written his gospel, uh, we are aware that he's talking about end times. Uh, in chapter 24, Jesus notes that the temple that he just walked out of is going to be torn down. And the disciples are like, whoa, 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 when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And so he gives them a lot to think about. Uh, and along with that, you know, some details about some kind of, I don't know, dual predictions about what's going to happen, something soon or something later, uh, he also brings in these parables. And the parables of the bags of gold is the last one that's kind of on this topic. So Matthew wants us to be thinking about eschatology. We're influenced by how he has written uh, this gospel. And he describes how Jesus gave all this tantalizing detail about events which tempt us to make predictions and timelines. And so you can look at your leisure at chapter 24 in there. But, but then Jesus says, but about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. So not even Jesus knows the timeline, and he's not stressing. Uh, and <laughs> he knows, he does know, though, that we should keep watch and be ready. So in these first four verses, I, I think it's also helpful for you, for you to know, if you don't already, well, how much money we're talking about, okay? Bags of gold. That's a substitute interpretation of a word talent, okay? And talent is just, uh, like, it's, it's, a, it's a, to get a handle of the value, you just need to know that a talent was a measurement, okay, of gold or silver. And I actually read that maybe at the time, gold and silver might have been about the same value. Maybe silver was even worth more. Either way, it's a lot, Okay, we're talking about the weight of a person, maybe. So their weight in gold, this would be like, a talent would be like one and a half million dollars, maybe. Uh, so it's, it's a bunch. So it's a big bag of gold, or big bags of gold, and it was about how much a worker would get for 6,000 days of labor. Uh, so that's like 20 years of work. So like, if you took your salary, times it by 20, and then somebody gave you a check, would you feel good about that? You got some, got some cash, your liquid. So even the person receiving one talent was getting a fortune. Uh, and while the fortune is unusual and it really catches our attention, it would not have been unusual for servants to actually act in the name of their Lord for the benefit of their Lord. So what they're doing wouldn't be atypical to, to, for them to, go, to leave and, 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 and expect something to happen. Uh, for the benefit. Their master's in charge whether the master's present or not. And safeguarding money by burying it also was a common thing. Uh, I, I knew people that do that today. Or I, I, actually, it was kind of a weird bus ride I took 
from Helena to uh, Fargo, North Dakota that lasted way, way too long with, with people that um, were really interesting. And I <laughs> heard that somebody buried their money on Mount Helena, so yeah. It, you know, it also becomes clear that the servants were expected to do something productive with what they had been entrusted. And the servants who re- re- embraced that responsibility were commended and they are rewarded liberally and identically. The tough part comes at verse 24, okay? And I would suggest it's tough, maybe tough, more not about what it says, but that we have trouble with it. Um, Because we don't like anything which would suggest that that maybe if we can equate this uh, Lord or Master with Jesus, or if there's anything that even smacks of Jesus being angry or tough or threatening or judgmental, and that's, so the message isn't that hard to understand. This guy's being judged, but to think that the master might be analogous to Jesus, that might be harder to swallow. And the servant claims the master is a hard man. But since we've just seen the master act in the opposite way, then that really holds no grounds. So uh, uh, it's clear the servant really doesn't know the master here. But the servant is free to their opinion, and, and actually it's their own opinion that serves as the basis for their judgment. Um, so who's the audience for this? Uh, the audience is the disciples of Jesus. Um, they are asking about signs and times, and he's given some clues, and yet he's also talking to them about the right now, not just about some future then. Uh, and like the disciples, and, and we're disciples too, right? Uh, we can ask and dream about, about what will happen in the last days, but Jesus' parable, uh, it challenges that attitude. If we're worried about judgment and the return of our master, then we're not focusing our, our attention on what our master has actually given us to do. Okay, so we can spend time looking and not doing, like, when are they coming home? Okay, oh, so, but he's given them a task, and they got right to it. Uh, So what has our master given us to do? What have we received from Jesus? Well, we received this priceless, the priceless value of the message of the kingdom. Uh, An enormous privilege and a responsibility. We received the gift of grace. What do we do with that gift? Does God ask nothing of us? Or does God ask something of us? And are we called only to believe in a Savior? Or are we also called to obedience to a King? What are we to do during the time uh, this parable portrays? This time between Jesus' departure and Jesus' return? So I think in Scripture, you, you can see Jesus pushing his hearers to a decision point quite a bit. Uh, and when they decide, what they decide has significance. And our decisions are always within this context of a people who are living in the end times. Jesus can return at any moment. And every day and often every decision is a crisis. How should I live my life knowing what I know? Having received the priceless gift of grace, what should I eat? What should I watch? 
What should I listen to? How should I speak? How should I spend my time? How should I spend my money? Where should I go? This third servant did nothing, absolutely nothing with his gift of grace. He hid it. And I, I would say no one would ever even have guessed that he had received something precious. Uh, indeed, the, the, the third servant knows his response is inappropriate. And he seems to expect judgment for his failure. And in this parable of the bags of gold, the master, I think, mirrors Jesus. Jesus has given to us this great value of the kingdom and a significant responsibility that comes with it. And I think this tension is, is really hard for a lot of us. We don't want the gift of grace to come at a cost to us because it's grace, right? This is the attitude and behavior Jesus is seeking to change. Jesus is calling disciples, not, did you ever watch this? I never watched it, but it was Entourage on HBO. It was kind of like these groupies that follow this guy's fame around. And, and uh, see, Jesus doesn't want kind of a brown-nosing entourage just using him, but not following him. Uh, the gift of grace does come at a cost. It's a call for obedient followers who do their best to see the kingdom grow. First in their own lives, then in their family, and of course in their community and in their church. And judgment is not an attractive topic. Uh, and so we avoid it. In fact, if someone points out our sin, well, we'll get them. We essentially, we like to negate their observations by calling them judgers. And we equate that to being a bad person and a sinner. You judging me? I, it's kind of like uh, when someone points out an example of racism, and then that person is immediately called a racist for mentioning racism. It's this interesting response we have that's defensive and, and tries to kind of subvert and say, no, you, you have the problem. I think because Jesus forgives our sins and maybe lo and loves us so much, we somehow are able, at least in certain areas of our life, to disconnect right and ethical living from our Christian walk. We work hard to keep Jesus free from moralism because we don't like to be judged. And Jesus loves us, so of course He wouldn't judge us. We don't like our loving Jesus to tell us there are right and wrong ways to think and to act and to live. We fall so deeply in, in love with the idea of justification by grace that we begin to believe that judgment is bad. But Jesus never says that. And, and here's a parable in which Jesus clearly denounces a person who was not accountable to the will of God. In fact, Jesus uses shocking language uh, in this parable to poke us in the eye, to get us to think that judgment is real. In essence, he says, take away that invaluable gift of kingdom life from that disciple. Throw them into darkness a place separate from God where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's seven times in the Old Testament. Um, and every time the phrase is referring to just ex it's extreme sorrow, extreme emotion. And it's the result of exclusion from the blessings of God. 
And Jesus' teaching is full of judgment, but we prefer to see that as solely against Jewish leaders. Uh, we forget he tells those he heals to go and sin no more. This parable forces us to accept that receiving God's gift of grace uh, does not mean the end of expectations for our growth in Christ, in our ministry. We would like to hear only of a God who saves, but the prophets and Jesus both underscore that God's coming always involves both salvation and judgment. And Jesus' harsh language is intended to shock so that people take the warning seriously. So when I asked Klein for some advice, he told me to, to just be faithful. And that, it's not as easy as it sounds. Uh, at the very least, I need to ask, well, what does being faithful mean? For me, I try. It always comes down to whether I'm trying to follow Jesus. If I know God calls me to something, I'm faithful if I respond in obedience. I do the best I can with what I know. I think that's important. I do the best I can with what I know. I'm faithful to listen and respond. And I have a responsibility to know. I'm not faithful if I choose to ignore or even choose to not find out what God is calling me to. Does anybody know what I'm talking about there? I can't not ask the question so I can pretend to be faithful. And I need to find people who will teach me and call me into faithfulness, who will change my devious ways of staying selfish and sinful, who will not allow me to excuse my lack of faithfulness with a lack of good mentoring and discipling. The issue for the parable of the bags of gold is faithfulness. There is a time when we are left alone the master is gone. A time when we will need to be ready, responsible, obedient. A time when we will need to just be faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. The servants were judged on the basis of their faithfulness. The parable calls us to commit to the one who truly is king and to faithfulness to all his purposes. Uh, if you're disturbed by the idea of judgment, and it is tough, it's a great topic to bring to this Christian life. A little plug next Sunday. Uh, in the meantime, remember that while the parable shocks us and reminds us that there is judgment, the parable is not a prescription for judgment. Just as we don't know the timelines and sequences of events, the Bible is kind of a little sketchy, a little thin on what exactly uh, judgment looks like but here's one thing we do know jesus jesus is the one who is slaughtered jesus is the one judged and it's your sins and my sins for which he bears that judgment jesus is the one whose resurrection gives us hope in a future in which we have the opportunity to live faithfully into righteousness. Uh, I had a note from some notes I had long ago that this is Miroslav Volf, Volf who's a theologian, and a, he wrote that every offer of forgiveness involves judgment. Think about that. 
Every offer of forgiveness involves judgment. I think that's right on. Judgment is a warning, but in Christ you have already been judged and found faithful only because of the faithfulness of Christ. In Revelation, it's clear that all people are judged. Christians don't sit on the sidelines. Oh, let's eat some popcorn and watch the judgment. No, we are judged. Uh, And when we are judged, our identity is revealed. Nothing is left in secret. Nothing. Judgment is truth-telling. And we all believe in a God of truth. There could be no secret sins if there is to be justice and forgiveness. There needs to be a full accounting. That means everything that you've never told anybody. And everything you didn't even know you did. And the consequences, I think, of those actions. A full accounting glorifies God, though, because it shows the depth of God's grace and mercy. And that's why universalism, this idea that in the end everyone is forgiven no matter whether they have accepted the gift of Jesus or not, that's why it was called heretical. Because universalism removes divine mercy. It removes a free response to grace. And ultimately, it means that God forces people to become God followers Universalism means you're saved whether you want to be or not. And in Revelation, I see a lot of not. Christians have found that that idea just doesn't fit the God who's revealed in the Bible. So we no longer need fear judgment, but we must be beware of judgment. Uh, We are called into the life Christ has given us. We are called into faithfulness. When all people are judged, Our identity is revealed. Instead of thinking, you did this, so you deserve that, consider that our identity separates those who accept Jesus and those who don't. It's about a person again. King Jesus speaks the truth about our lives. Would you expect anything less? The parable helps us by reminding us that we don't stand sinless before God. We stand faithful And our faith is the proper response to the one whose faithfulness was never compromised. As you receive communion today, remember that without judgment, you could not come to the table with your sins forgiven. To your Christ's beloved. And the advice Klein gave to me is the same as the desire that I think Jesus expresses in the parable of the bags of gold. It is the reminder that there's no off time while we wait. It is the reminder that the gift we have been given is so precious. It is wrong to let it lie, useless to bury it somewhere. Our call, Jesus' call upon us, is to just be faithful. Thanks for joining us on the Bridge Covenant Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit us at bridgecovenant.org.